Hi there. How's the Journey Church family today? Wow, like barely there, maybe. I want to say an extra special welcome if you're a guest, maybe with us for the first time today. We're absolutely delighted that you're here, and I just want you to know that you're here on a day that is geared toward those who call Journey Church their home, all right? I want you to know if you're a guest today, you are off the hook. Please hear me clearly, because you're with us today for this culmination of what we've been talking about for the past three weekends around our capital campaign initiative that we call Light It Up. And Light It Up is the invitation to the Journey Church family to to be in, to be an active, to be a vital part, a tangible part in raising this $2 million for the construction of phase one of our ministry campus and community center out there at Love and Baxter Lanes. But I want you to know that this isn't primarily about the money, see. Like money is a residual effect of any time we're ordering our world around the stuff that God asks us to order our world around. It's just the residual of it. We're doing spiritual growth work, and the money is just residual. It's not the thrust. It's not the emphasis. And we're working off a plan toward a building out there at Love and Baxter Lane that's like 20,000 square feet. Some of you might be wondering what the project is. It's around 20,000 square feet. It's everything multi-use, right? Uh, It's a room kind of like this, like a cafe-gymatorium kind of a room, right? where lots of things can happen. We're not going to fix pews to the floor that never move, and the only thing we can do in that room is hold worship services, but it's a worship center that converts to an activity center and so on. Everything is multi-use except the office piece of that because offices are offices, right? They're not too multi-use. Kids' ministry, classrooms, and so on that will all have benefit to the community, to the Gallatin Valley community, not just about us. In addition to leveraging that new revenue stream that's created by Light It Up to get that community center and ministry campus built, we're going to give 10% right off the top of every dollar that is pledged, every dollar that is given. We're going to give a tithe right off the top to start new churches in our region, to resource new ministry opportunities, and so on. We just made a deposit in the last week or so for the Helena Church plant that we'll be a part of that'll roll out next fall. The fall of 09, that church will start, Narrate Church will launch in Helena, and we're a vital part. Some of you might be moving to Helena, actually, to be a part of what God's going to do there. The Big Sky Extension Campus of Journey Church, and so on. That's tithe dollars off the top of money that's given and pledged. And for all of that stuff to happen, phase one of the ministry campus and community center, tithing to these new ministry opportunities, our goal is $2 million. Now, speaking of goals, I heard the story this week about a church that was in the midst of a capital campaign. It's kind of like we are right now. The trouble was, this often happens around churches, the trouble was that they found out like midway through the week that their project was going to cost way more than they thought it was going to, right? That's just how it seems to go with church projects a lot of the time. During the course of the week, the pastor of that church, he was incredibly preoccupied. He was wringing his hands with how in the world he's going to break this news to the congregation. How is he going to ask the congregation to come up with much more money than they were expecting to get their building built, their project going? And he didn't have any idea how to do that. And so not knowing what else to do, he plopped down one day with the organist in the church. It was one of those churches, like an organist, kind of a pipe organ kind of place. And he said, now look, is there any way you can help me out with this sort of deflating news that I have? Could, there, could you maybe generate some inspirational music around the announcement when I tell the people that they need to give more money that would like stir them and rally them into a generous and giving mood? 
The organist just very calmly looked at the pastor and said, well, don't you worry, I'll think of something. That's just a classic organist line, by the way. Don't worry, I'll think of something kind of on the fly, right? That weekend rolled around and the pastor, he took the platform and he was very nervous and he paused and he said, now brothers and sisters, it was also that kind of a church, brothers and sisters, our building project is in great difficulty. As it turns out, costs are coming in like two times as much as we expected. We need several million more dollars than we anticipated to fulfill our goal and get this building built. If you're able to give $10,000 or more to this project, would you right now just please stand right up? And at just that moment, as if on cue, the organist very voraciously began playing the Star Spangled Banner. And I want you to know that unlike in that setting, there isn't any manipulation. There's no strings about this lighted up initiative. Please hear me clearly. This is in no way a high pressure gig where I or anyone else is going to strong arm you, going to manipulate you, going to twist you into giving to some project. Rather, this is an invitation that is between you and God, right? This is an invitation that's between you and God. The bottom line goal of this whole invitation is that you and your family would ask the Lord if he would have you be a part of this lighted up effort. That you would simply hold up all of your stuff and say, God, how would you have us order all of this for your kingdom? And then that you would just give an attentive ear to him. That you would simply listen in to his response and then that you would just walk out. Just follow him. Just trust him in what it is that he asks you to do. No strings, no pressure, no manipulation, no star-spangled banner stand up now kind of stuff, right? Over the course of the past few weeks, if you've been around, you know that we've been talking about what it means to give generously, what it means to give sacrificially in ways that honor God and please him. A couple of weeks back, if you were here, Derry talked to us about how our stuff, all of the stuff that we have, provides us actually with the means of attaching our lives to things that are bigger than just us. That's why we have this stuff that we have so that we can attach our lives to something bigger than just us and stuff that will live on long after we're dead and gone, right? All of us want to be a part of that. All of us want to have significance even after we're not here anymore. Last weekend, we talked about our role as managers, not owners of the stuff that God has entrusted to our care and management and stewardship. We talked about how this life we're living now, this one and only life that we're living right now, is the one and only chance we have to exchange the currency of this earth, which we know as money and stuff and things, to exchange the currency of this earth for the currency of heaven, which is changed lives, right? And today we're going to press in a bit to the challenge from the Apostle Paul to simply give and to simply be generous. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open it to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, as a matter of fact. 2 Corinthians was right after the book of 1 Corinthians, kind of in the back quarter, maybe back third of your text. If you don't have a text, you can follow along on the side screen. And we've asked Kathy to paint through the rest of our time of worship together today. And she's going to visually illustrate for us what exactly we've been talking about through this Lighted Up series, as well as the stuff that we'll talk about today. And I just want to say thanks, Kathy, in advance for sharing your gift. This is spectacular. What a bunch of fun. Thanks, Kathy. Way to go. 
And we talked last weekend about how the image of this fire hydrant is incredibly instructive for we who follow Jesus Christ as we think about our material possessions that God has entrusted to our care and to our management all for him, all for his kingdom, all for his sake. If you were around last weekend, you would have heard me talk about, you know how this works. When a fire breaks out, firefighters, they roll up on the scene and they use these fire hydrants as the source of the water that will extinguish the fire. And I talked last weekend about just as a fire hydrant is the source of water that extinguishes flames, so too is God the source of every dollar that we possess. It's true. God is the source. We're not the source. God is. And because he is the source of every single dollar that we possess, he challenges us, see, not to fill buckets Not to merely reservoir the things that he's entrusted to our care, but rather to be generous and to use what we have for his purpose. The word is leverage. To leverage what we have for his purposes. Let's look at this text together. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 7. We're going to move down through three verses together here today. Since you excel in so many ways, Paul writes, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. What's, who's Paul writing to? What's he talking about here? What's the background? The book of 2 Corinthians was written originally not as a book of the Bible, see, It was originally written as a letter, a letter to a church in a city called Corinth. After Paul had planted the church in Corinth, he left, he went back to a city called Antioch, he spent some time in Antioch, he left there, he traveled to the city of Ephesus, and he hung out in Ephesus for about three years. This was a unique deal for the Apostle Paul. Paul is an apostolic, church-planting kind of guy. He's mobile. He's always on the move. He's taking these missionary trips. You can read through the book of Acts and you can see all the places he went, all of the churches he started, all the visits he made to those churches he started. He's on these missionary journeys almost perpetually. He starts churches, moves on to a new town, starts another church, and so on. Well, this was unique. He hung out at the city of Ephesus for quite a while. During this particular stay in the city of Ephesus, Paul wrote these letters to the church in the city of Corinth. There's two letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians in your text, addressing some of the concerns that had arisen there at these churches that he had started. He's giving leadership, he's giving counsel, he's giving invitation to God's stuff from afar because he has deep love and care for the church that he planted. And the reason Paul wrote what he wrote in verse 7 of 2nd Corinthians 8 is that he was raising money for the church back in the city of Jerusalem. There were all kinds of people around the city of Jerusalem who were meeting Christ, who were getting saved, and the church was exploding in Jerusalem. And they had financial needs, incredible financial needs. And Paul was raising money for that church, to bless that church, to be a part of what God was doing there, to help them. And so wherever Paul went, to whomever he wrote letters, he solicited, he asked for financial support for that church in Jerusalem. He laid out their needs and said, look, would you be a part of this, please? Now it was the church of Corinth's turn. It was their time, their invitation, to give generously to that work. And it was an incredibly tough sell 
for the Apostle Paul. Believe me. The church in Corinth, they had it going on. They had it going on around the city of Corinth. Paul tells them as much. You excel in so many ways. There's so many things that you're good at. In your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us. You have all of this stuff going for you, Paul says. But you lack one thing. You're not generous. You're not generous. It was kind of like they had the valve on the fire hydrant of God's provision. It was like they had it cracked open and they were using it to fill and reservoir the blessings of God and they were just stacking it up and they were just hoarding it, see. Filling buckets, reservoiring God's stuff. They were having a grand time as a church community, storing up and enjoying all the benefits of everything that God had given them, everything that God was doing around their church, around their town. Their music, it was probably the best in the city. Their preaching was probably the best in the city. Their Bible studies and their classes and their small groups were the best. The church in Corinth was an incredibly high-energy outfit. They were enthusiastic beyond measure. And they took great pride in their faith in God. But Paul says, look... I see that you're filling and I see you're amassing buckets of God's blessing and provision and resources. And Paul says, "Huh, uh no way. Paul says, look, it's not just about your music being the best. It isn't just about your preaching and your Bible studies, your classes and your small groups being the best. It isn't just about you being a high energy and enthusiastic outfit, nice weekend worship services. It's not just about your great faith in God. You're forgetting something, Paul says. It isn't just about you and taking care of your needs and your wants. It isn't just about you doing church the way that you think church ought to be done. It's not just about filling buckets, about amassing the blessing and provision of God so that you can stand back and say, my, look at how God has blessed us. Aren't we blessed people? Isn't this great? Aren't we lucky? Paul says, stop filling your buckets Stop piling up your buckets, but instead, he writes these very instructive words, excel also in this gracious act of giving. Excel also in this gracious act of giving. Stop filling buckets and stop reservoiring God's blessings. Stop hoarding the stuff that God's given you. Instead, realize that your life is rather to be like a fire hose hooked to the source, God himself, for the purpose of conduiting God's blessing into his work on the planet. All so that the kingdom of God will be expanded, so God's purposes will be fulfilled so that his work will be furthered, so that everyone on planet Earth will know that I'm the Savior of the world. And notice how Paul commends the people of the church of Corinth to excel. It's an exceptional word. Excel in this gracious act of giving. What does it mean to excel? The dictionary defines excel as be very good at. Don't just be mediocre. Don't just be lukewarm but rather be very good at, be exceptional, be the very best you can be at this gracious act of giving. And Paul does a beautiful thing in this text. He actually invokes the covenantal framework of God through this invitation to the church at Corinth for them to give generously. He's drawing back on everything that God has done for the church of Corinth. He's redeemed them, he's provided for them, and then he's invited them to give generously 
to be a part of such a generous flow of resources that God's work continues and it overflows. And people know who God is because of their generosity, because of their giving. Because, see, having received grace from God leads us to this natural place of expressing grace to other people. That's just what it does. We receive this incredible grace from God, and then we express that same grace. We don't hoard it. We don't fill buckets and reservoir it. Rather, we're just a conduit. We're just a fire hose into the lives of other people of all that God's done in us. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians Chapter 8, verse 8, the very next verse. I'm not commanding you to do this. Note that. I'm not commanding you to do this. But I am testing how genuine your love is. Now, Paul could have wrenched on him. He could have gotten on him and said, now you give. But he doesn't. And he says as much. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is. Now, this gets a little tricky but we know that our generosity and our giving is one of the tests of the genuineness of our love for God. It just is. Our generosity and our giving is one of the tests of the genuineness of our love for God. Now, I have had a slew of teachers and professors in what I call a sort of sordid educational background, right? I go to the first eight years of school in Northern California, in this little town. I move to Billings, Montana. I go to this little school called Canyon Creek School for my eighth grade year. I like slipped in like halfway through eighth grade year. And there's like 17 people in the eighth grade class at Canyon Creek School in Billings. And there's like no hiding when there's 17, right? You're just, there you are. Oh, the California kid. Mm, that did not go well. There was no hiding there. From Canyon Creek School, I went to West High School. I liked that because I could hide. That was cool for me. And then four undergraduate educational institutions. Four. Like, like you know, Heinz 57 kind of thing. Now I'm a year and a half into a master's program. I've had a slew of teachers and professors in my sordid educational past. And I'm convinced out of all those teachers, out of all those professors that I've had, I may have had a couple, a few, who use tests as instruments of shame. You know what I'm talking about? Testing as an instrument of shame. That is, I've had very few professors, very few teachers, who use tests as negative motivators in my life, in the life of the other students. That's not the purpose of tests, is it? At least it shouldn't be, to show students how bad or dumb or ignorant they are. That's not the purpose of a test, is it? At least it shouldn't be. Rather, the purpose of a test is to challenge the learners to a higher standard of knowledge and understanding and even competence. That's the purpose of a test, to raise the bar, to challenge us to a higher standard of knowledge and understanding and competence. The exact same deal goes with Paul's mention that his invitation to the church at Corinth to give generously to this project at the church of Jerusalem is a test. The purpose of Paul's test, it is exceedingly positive, see. It's not a negative deal whatsoever. Paul isn't tempting or baiting the church of Corinth to get this wrong, to answer the test incorrectly. But instead, he's challenging them with the motivation. He's challenging them with the stimulus to get this giving thing right. He's saying, get this right. Paul knows 
that giving, Paul knows that generosity are part of the mix toward making us more like Jesus. Consider all that Jesus has given to us. Think about that. And Paul says, your giving, it's not just an act of obedience. It isn't just an act of compulsion. It's an invitation to a response based on God's generosity to you. Generosity and giving is the delightful expression of the willing eagerness to say yes. Yes, because God has given me so much, I will eagerly say yes to this call, to this invitation to give and to be generous. Jesus himself, he actually speaks of this test of giving. Look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Here's what he says. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. And all that stuff happens, right? It just happens to our stuff on earth. Store your treasures in heaven, Jesus says, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever, watch this, your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. This contrasting view of treasures here on earth with treasures in heaven is the exact same idea that Paul's writing about in 2 Corinthians. It's about a contrast in values with the heart that is the focus. And when the Bible speaks of the word heart, you probably know this. It doesn't just mean this 9 to 11 ounce muscle that pumps blood throughout our body. Did you know that the heart weighs 9 to 11 ounces? I had to Google it. I didn't know how much it weighed. 9 to 11 ounces. Now you know. When the Bible says heart, it's not talking about this physical heart. Rather, in the text, all throughout the Bible, anytime you see the word heart, it represents the core of a person's being, the real inner person, the causative source of a person's spiritual, emotional, and psychological life, the seat of being, if you will. And what we value as people is driven by the very nature of our hearts. And so whatever it is that we place as our highest value, that serves as the gauge of the very condition of our hearts. A story is told that when John Wesley, who this movement called Journey Church actually descends from John Wesley, when he would visit his churches on his traveling preaching circuit, he would regularly and frequently question the leaders of those congregations as to the progress of their faith. He would go into a church and he would preach. He would have small group meetings with the leaders and so on. And one of his most frequently asked questions to the leaders of those congregations is this. Has following Jesus affected your pocketbook? Has following Jesus affected your pocketbook? The implication is that it should. See, it's a fantastic question. Because it's very easy for us to talk all we want about how much God means to us. We can talk all we want about how we long to see the kingdom of God expanded and furthered. But the true litmus test of our heart's commitment to those very values, our heart's commitment to God's values, is found in where we put our money. Because Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And it's true. When we keep our hearts fully focused on God in heaven, on the furtherance of his kingdom, on the leveraging of our stuff for his work, all the other supposed treasures of this world just pale in compare to being kingdom of God bringers right here and right now. Not just reservoiring and hoarding God's stuff, 
but fire hosing it out there so that more will know, so that people will hear. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, the next verse, and this is the last verse we're gonna camp out on for the rest of our time. You know, Paul says, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Our standard for giving, see, is the example of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus, he excelled at this gracious act of giving, didn't he? In what ways was Jesus rich? Well, think about it. He was rich in just who he was. He was rich in his personhood. He's the eternal God, after all. He was rich in his possessions. He was rich in his position as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords. He is rich in power, for he can do anything. He created earth, life. He created it all. Yet in spite of the fact, in spite of the fact of his incredible riches, he became incredibly poor, didn't he? And when we examine this verse, when we look at the tense of the verb that Paul uses, it's actually Jesus' incarnation. We'll celebrate that in just about a month from now, won't we? It's his birth at Bethlehem that Paul has in view in this text. Jesus Christ chose to unite himself with humankind. He put on human flesh. He left his throne in heaven. He abandoned the riches of heaven to become a mere servant with a serving towel over his arm. And he laid aside everything he had. He didn't even have a place to lay his head, the text tells us. And Jesus' ultimate experience in poverty was when he was actually made sin for us on the cross. One person I read recently defined hell as eternal poverty. Hell as eternal poverty. It's a great definition. And it's on the cross that Jesus Christ himself became the poorest of the poor for us. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he leave the riches of heaven and become incredibly impoverished? It's because people, you and everyone else on planet earth matter to God. That's why he would do that. And they matter so much to him that he invites us, every single one of us, to be a part of extending his grace by giving, by being generous with our physical and our financial resources on behalf of others because of our spiritual riches in God, because of the grace that he extends to us. And I want you to hear, please hear, that this lighted up initiative, it isn't just about Journey Church simply being a little refuge from the world. I would never ask you to give to a project that was about us becoming a little bit more of a Christian club with just, that just exhausts itself trying to keep the sheep in the pen happy and so on. Rather, lighted up is all about this little community called Journey Church living out and extending the very same grace that God has shown to us through his one and only son, Jesus Christ reflecting, demonstrating, showing that same grace that we've received to people who are walking in darkness, people who are living far from God. It's been said by one author that the average church in America exists only for itself, and I think he's right. Churches, he writes, are preoccupied with themselves, their routines, their facilities, and filling their facilities for performances, not here. I would never ask you to give to a project with that as the aim. 
Rather, the dollars that you choose to pledge this weekend toward the buildings that we hope to build out there on that land, they're not just a sanctuary for us. Rather, that land and those eventual buildings, they're a seven-day-a-week. They become a seven-day-a-week serving hub for the community. Yeah, the ministries of Journey Church will leverage those facilities for what they need them for. And if Walmart needs a place to have their staff Christmas party, that facility will be made available to them. If the senior citizens in our valley need a place to meet, that facility will be made available to them. If the Bozeman High School freshman girls volleyball team needs a gym to practice in, that facility will be made available to them. If the Boy Scouts need a room in which to hold a shindig, because Boy Scouts have shindigs, Girl Scouts have shindigs, that facility will be made available to them. And I hope skeptics and I hope critics ask the question, who does that? And the answer is, we do. The answer is, we will. And we'll do it because we believe to the core of our beings that our primary purpose is to live out and is to extend the very same grace that God has shown to us through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Attending a weekend worship service like this is not likely the first step toward faith for a person who is living life far from God, but attending a community event held by a community organization in one of those eventual buildings might just be. It might spawn the kind of thinking that says, what kind of a church would let my kids Boy Scout troop or Girl Scout troop have a shindig in its facility, no strings attached? What kind of a place does that? Who are these people? And it's then that we've been generous. It's then that we've been full of grace. Just as God has been generous and gracious to us, our standard for giving, see, is the example of Jesus Christ himself. And that's what we all have the invitation to today. As those of us who are choosing to do so, as we lay down our lighted up commitment cards, we're actually making some decisions, some very conscious decisions. We're choosing to make eternal investments over ones that will be realized on planet Earth. We're making the decision to invest in what will make a difference in eternity over what might make us comfortable and happy right here and right now. Those of us who are choosing to lay down a commitment to this initiative today, we're exchanging the currency of Earth, see, for the currency of heaven, which is only changed lives. As we lay down our commitment cards today, we're saying, I want to value people the very same way that God values people. Because he's extended his grace to me, I want to be a part of extending his grace to so many other people who have yet to hear, who don't yet know. Will you be a part of that? Will you be a part of that? I'm gonna ask you to set your things aside, if you would, and go to prayer, and I invite you just to speak to the Lord about what it is that you're thinking about. Just tell God what's on your heart and your mind. I invite you to do that now, if you would. your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you would for the next few moments what I want you to hear today more than anything else is that your heart and your life and your soul and your eternal destiny matter way more to God than your stuff than your money 
you matter to God. And maybe you've come to understand today how much Jesus loves you, how much he gave for you on your behalf, how he died on the cross as the payment for your sin, and how he wants more than anything else to live in relationship with you. that's you, you can step into a relationship with God today by acknowledging Jesus' love for you, by acknowledging his death on the cross to be your savior, to be the rescuer of your soul. And you can choose to put your faith and trust in him. If that's you, if that's the decision of your heart today, I'd invite you to express that to God. Just tell that to God. You can do that by praying a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. But today, God, I realize that you are perfect, that you are holy, that my sin has separated me from you. God, with everything in me, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I ask you to please forgive me and please send Jesus to live inside of me. God, I want you to be my friend and I need you to change me and I need you to clean my life up, please, God. And that decision to yield your life to Jesus Christ, to invite him into your heart is the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing matters more. Nothing is more weighty. And around here, it's such a big deal that we actually invite people to tell us when they made that decision. I'm going to ask you to do that with me. I want you to know that nobody's going to embarrass you. I'm the only person looking around the room. If you prayed with me just then, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and say, yes, I stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Yeah, right there. Way to go, man. Right there. You three, right there. God's changing you and he's making you brand new. You're receiving his grace right now. There be any others, I, I don't want to miss anybody. It's too big a deal. God, we're stunned and we're overwhelmed and we're amazed at the grace you show to us every single day, but especially the grace you show us through your son, Jesus Christ. We receive him. God, I pray for the folks in this room today who've yielded their lives to you. I pray that their life would never be the same, God. I pray that you would surround them with people who will help them, who will challenge them, who will help them take first steps of faith in you and with you, God. We celebrate with the angels in heaven right now, the folks in this room who just met you. Thanks for letting us be a little part of that, God. And God, thanks also for letting this little community of Christ followers called Journey Church be a part of your grand and great work on the planet. The fact that we get to participate with the God of the universe in your program to redeem humanity is stunning to us. And so God, our commitment as a community is that we'll, we'll pick up our role We'll do what you ask us to do and we'll walk that out and we'll do it with courage and we'll do it with boldness. We'll do it in great faith, God. 
will walk into your desired future. Will you go ahead of us, please? Will you protect us from the enemy? And will you cause your work through us to bear much fruit, please, God? We love you and we worship you and we're all about you. This is all for you, God. Because your fame and your renown are the desires of our hearts, God. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious and holy name and the church said, amen.